God, I pray uh, that you would guide us as we continue this process, God, and that the right people would come in the right time, God. Uh, and, and, and just pray, God, as we, as we lead forward, that we can lead with the right people. And that wouldn't be by our choice, it would be by yours. So God, please lead us in the days to come and hear our prayer. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, if you weren't here last Sunday, you missed a great event. Uh, it was a great Sunday. We claimed our baggage. That's the beginning of the series called Baggage Claim, where the first thing we claim is we have to name what baggage we have. We have to name what we carry into the present moment. The way I defined baggage was this, that any issue regarding a person's past that can affect their current disposition. And last week, we had over 200 people write out confessions saying, God, I'm powerless over these things, and I need you to come and and to forgive me of that and and to lead me into a cleansed life. And I'm I'm grateful for that. It was just, in some ways, it was so hard to read through those uh, confessions this last week because there's a heaviness in this room. But at the same time, the, the joy was to get to read these and know that burden was lifted this past week, and that was a blessing. But today I want to ask the question, what happens after forgiveness? Because there are steps beyond forgiveness that Scripture points us to, and I'm excited to share that with you today. So before we pray about this message, I want to ask if I could have a, a few people who would raise their hands, who during this message you, you would just commit to interceding on my behalf and on behalf of others who will hear this message today. I really believe This is a powerful moment for this church, uh, what's about to occur in the next 30 minutes or so. So are there any that would be willing to intercede during this message on behalf of others that may need uh, something that the Spirit would guide them to? Thank you very much. I appreciate your commitment. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I pray that you would do what you have done for so many centuries, God. That not only would we be forgiven people, we would be healed people. God, that's not an easy thing. It involves things that we really don't want to walk through. And so, God, I know uh, the evil one has ways of trying to distract us and keep us from being in this moment, God. But all week long, we've been in conversation. And I believe this is a key moment for many in this church today, God, that will change their lives if they'll listen. So, God, would your spirit move? Would we be open to that movement? And when we leave these doors today, God, would we be different people because of your action in this moment? I pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Well, this sermon is a sermon about ghosts. So I want to start with a raise of hands. Who believes in ghosts this morning? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, any of you who do probably wouldn't raise your hand this morning because there's this sense in our culture that what is in front of us, the physical realities, that's just the way things are. And so I want to say this morning, I'll raise my hand, I believe in ghosts. But I want to talk about a different kind of ghost that we might confess to believing in this morning. These ghosts haunt me, and my guess is these ghosts haunt you as well. Now, when I talk about ghosts, I'm not talking about the kind with haunted houses and Halloween. Some of you have likely had those experiences, and it would be fun to be around the campfire and discuss that another time. The ghosts I'm referring to are the moments in all of our pasts that we don't dare speak of, that continue to haunt us. 
We all have these moments. We all have these situations. And my guess is everybody in the room has these moments that we don't speak of. And when we don't speak of them, those ghosts uh, get drawn up and drug up from time to time. Individuals have ghosts. Perhaps it was a broken relationship that you remember from the past. Maybe it was a broken engagement that you were close to that point of marriage. Or maybe it, it could be any number of things. But perhaps that's the ghost that continues to haunt you. Or perhaps it's not that at all. Perhaps it's a specific sin that you've struggled with all of your life. Maybe a secret sin that you haven't known how to get rid of. For some of you, it's not something you committed. It's something that happened to you like a, a miscarriage, perhaps. Or perhaps for some of us in the room, it was a decision to abort the baby in a difficult time in our lives that still continues to be there in the back of our minds all through the rest of our lives. Perhaps it happened in a weekend that we just just assume forget, but it doesn't seem like we can forget. Or perhaps it happened because it was abuse that occurred to us at an early age that we had no choice in the matter about. We all have regrets, things we did we wish we wouldn't have and things we wish we wouldn't have done that we did. And at times we're reminded of these moments and something drags these things to the surface And we begin to feel guilt and we begin to feel remorse and we can't seem to let go of these ghosts that continue to haunt us. But it isn't just individuals. Families have ghosts as well. Some of you grew up in families where there was a family secret that had to be kept at all costs. And you as a child were forced to keep those secrets on behalf of someone that should have been responsible but couldn't be in the moment. For some of you, there are family conversations that you can't go back to. Because you know to bring those things up would drag up all kinds of things you're not prepared to deal with in the next moment. Uh, For some of you, uh, it may be a a lighter thing. It may be a card game that got out of hand and you know you can't play that game with your family anymore. But we have these ghosts in our families and we let them go and they continue to haunt us, don't they? But it's not just individuals, it's not just families. There are tribes of people, there are nations that have ghosts as well, don't we? Think about Nazi Germany and this concentration camp uh, scene from the past that continues to haunt in so many ways those communities. Why did we not speak up? I I ministered in the city of Denver, and Denver had ghosts. In fact, I I ministered in the city of Littleton, and just 20 miles to our west was a school named Columbine, and you all know that for different reasons than the people in the community. And I was there for the 10-year anniversary of Columbine, the shooting that happened. And I thought, it happened on a Sunday. Perhaps this should be a Sunday that we remember and we celebrate what God has done in the last decade. But when I brought that up to those elders, they said, oh, you don't understand the ghosts in this community. We've dealt with that. We've put it to rest. It's not yours to bring back up. Nations have ghosts. Nations like ours with slavery and Jim Crow and Uh, internment camps and genocide of Native Americans. We have these ghosts, and if we don't speak of them, they tend to reappear in ways we never imagined. Countries and groups have ghosts. And here's the problem with ghosts. What you repress by day will haunt you by night. What you choose not to speak of will show itself up in your life. Again, if you're an individual who has ghosts and you don't deal with it, it will show itself uh, to the surface at some point because ghosts reappear. And families who don't deal with their ghosts, they tend to show up in the next generation. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Generational sin is the way that we talk about it. It comes out of uh, the Ten Commandments of all places, this promise of God that's good on the one hand, but really hard on the other. This is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. 
It says there in a passage about idolatry, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, the idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That's a hard word, but listen to this. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Some of you know what general, generational sin is because you've had an addiction genetically that's been passed to you from previous generations. Or maybe there's this sin that haunted your family that, that reappeared. And your question is, how do we not pass this on to the next generation? How can we break this cycle? And this is the good news of Exodus 20 is that God promises his love will go to thousands of generations, not just three or four with sins that tend to be passed down, but God's love goes on from there. And as long as we bury these ghosts and don't deal with them, they'll continue to haunt us. But in order for something to change, we have to call those ghosts to the surface. And so this morning, I want to play the role of Ghostbuster. I want to play the role of sharing a couple steps that in my own life I've been able to deal with some of those ghosts. And my prayer and hope is that we might be able to get rid of those ghosts this morning. So there's two steps I want to talk with you about for dealing with our ghosts. And and ghosts is just another image for baggage, really, like we're talking about. These things in the past that tend to affect us in the present. So if that's a more helpful image, then we'll talk about baggage. But step one, you've got to confess your ghosts. You've got to confess your baggage. And this is what we did last week, isn't it? 1 John 1.9 is is the passage we came from last week. Do you remember the words there? It says it on the screen here, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And the the confession that's talked about here is a vertical confession. We confess our sins to God and He forgives. So it's this vertical confession of confessing to God and God promises to forgive our sins. And that's a huge part of this process is making sure we name them. And last week we got to break some power uh, and allow forgiveness to come where it had not been. But... You can be forgiven of your sins and not be healed. You you can be forgiven of your sins and still have ghosts that haunt. So what is step two? And and to share step two with you, I'd love for you to open real quick to the book of James. James chapter 5, verse 16, the first half is what I want to read this morning. I think this is such an important verse for us to understand and, and to memorize together. It says there, therefore... Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Step two to getting rid of those ghosts is to confess our sins, not just to God vertically, but to confess our sins to each other. And the rest of this message, I want to share what I think that will do. There's a difference between being forgiven, which I believe happens when we confess our sins to God, and being healed, which is what happens when we confess our sins to one another. There are bonds that Satan has that break in those moments. Now John says that forgiveness comes through confessing our sins. So you can be a forgiven person and still not be healed, but healing comes through this sharing horizontally. It's a horizontal confession. The evil one this morning, I'm telling you, does not want you to hear this because so many churches have focused on forgiveness of sins, but they've left people there as if to sit on our hands waiting on God to show up and take us to heaven. And that's a great promise. It's a promise Scripture gives. But I believe God wants us to live lives, abundant lives, don't you? He came to give us life, and the way he gives life is through the healing that he promises. And that's step two that I want to focus on today. So this morning, if you're feeling distracted, I want to call you back 
to be present in this moment. Because like I said, I've been praying all week that God would use what I'm about to share to heal, to begin that process of healing in your own life. So to do that, I want to share James 5.16. is not just a passage of Scripture I believe up here. It's actually gotten to my heart and it's changed my life. And I want to share that story with you this morning. I want to share my testimony, my story of healing with you. And I believe this is important that leaders of this church begin and lead the way for baggage claim because otherwise we're asking you to do something we haven't done on our own. And so this has to start with me. And I've shared parts of my story before. I, I, I grew up as a preacher's kid. I grew up in a great family that taught me right and wrong. And, and for much of my life, I, I did what was right. I tried to do the right thing. I, I was a leader at school. I was a leader on the sports field. I was a leader uh, in my uh, youth group in every way I could be. In fact, when I had my 13th birthday, on my 13th birthday, I was baptized by my dad. Because I wanted to enter into my teenage years in a way that I was committing to Jesus as Lord and having as much help as possible from the Holy Spirit, which I didn't know how much I needed. Amen? As I walked through life, on the outside, I was the kind of guy that moms wanted their daughters to marry. Now, they didn't want to date me till much later in life, but their moms thought it would be a good idea, right? But underneath that public persona I had, perfe- I had perfected was a young man plagued by sins of lust and pornography that I couldn't seem to break free of. And for any of you who have lived with a secret sin in your life, you know how the cycle goes, and it happens all too often. Because you begin with sin, and then you move to a, a place of guilt and remorse, and you're plagued by that guilt and remorse, and then you ask God for forgiveness, and God say, God, I'll never do this again, and then you sin again, and then you go through guilt. I mean, this is what the church process teaches us. It's 1 John 1, 9. It's a piece of the puzzle. And I lived with this sinful cycle for years. In fact, I continued this sinful cycle after I started dating Holly. And before we got engaged, I remember coming to Holly and realizing I need to confess this to Holly. So I shared this struggle with her. And she was willing to forgive me. She was willing to be engaged in the weeks that followed. And I white-knuckled recovery for a season. I made it happen on my own. I, I tried to make it something that I would do on my own. But my confession, my willpower was no match for the sins that so easily entangled me. So I received forgiveness for sins, but I didn't receive healing and the ghost reappeared. And when I went to college, I went to go be a preacher. I studied scripture and I thought, surely this will help me in my task of trying to defeat the evil one in my life. But what I found was even though I was reading scripture every day, that was no match still for the ghost that haunted. I had perfected the mask and no one knew what I was struggling with. And so we got married. What I thought was maybe marriage will fix me. And what I found was that baptism didn't fix me. This decision to follow Jesus wasn't all there would be. And, and marriage didn't fix me. And I continued to sin against God and Holly in the early years of our marriage. And I was powerless. Now hear me clearly. If you are struggling with a deep sin in your life of some kind, you cannot stop it on your own. This is only something that can be changed by the work of the Holy Spirit and, and, and the accountability and, and, and blessing of others that are walking alongside you. You cannot fix yourself. Baptism cannot fix you. Marriage cannot fix you. There's nothing humanly possible to fix you. It is only God that can do that. 
You need a power that's beyond yourself if you are going to be healed. And so into our marriage, before I entered into ministry, I decided I've got to kick this. I've got to figure out a way to get through this. And so I sat down with Holly one night and I confessed this sin to her, acknowledging that I had broken covenant with her. And it was a hard night. It was a hard few weeks. It was a hard few months. We're still walking through the process of building trust years later. So it's not like this is some simple thing that you just get through. And on the heels of that, of earning back her trust, I heard about a ministry called Celebrate Recovery that began to change my life. I went through a step study, similar to the 12-step recovery groups, just naming Christ as the higher power, which is what Celebrate Recovery does. And I began to connect the dots of how my sins were connected to hurts that occurred earlier in my life that I needed to work through with people. All my life, I'd acknowledged step one. We mentioned step one last week. Let's put it up there. We admitted we were powerless over, fill in the blank for you, for me, lust and pornography, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's right out of 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins to God, and he forgives the guilt of our sin and purifies us. But change happened in my life. Healing happened in my life with step five in recovery. And this is what step five is. It's actually step five. I made a mistake there. But step five is admitted to God to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And that comes right out of James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another, and you will be healed. See, for years I had stepped through step one over and over and over again, and I'd never gotten to step five. And it wasn't until I got to that that I began to find healing. It changed me. And I'm here to tell you, addictions don't just go away. That's part of the recovering community is saying, this is a day-by-day thing. But i got to tell you, I'm finding healing and freedom in ways I never did before because of being able to share things that I thought I could never share with anyone in my life. And if any of you are walking through this kind of darkness right now, I want you to know that Holly and I are open to walking beside you. If this is a struggle that you're facing, or if you're a spouse of someone that's struggling with this, we want to be partners in ministry, walking through you with this as we continue our recovery as well. But I'm grateful to be able to say this morning that God has freed me. He's continuing to free me day by day, and I'm finding healing because of confessing my sins, exact nature of my wrongs to a brother. So today, as we close our time together, I want to share several takeaways that I discovered as I was walking through my process of healing, of transformation in my own life. I think the power of confession is just incredible. So I want to share with you some things that I learned through this. The first is this. The truth will set you free, but first it tends to make you miserable. I could lie up here and tell you, if you'll just tell the truth, everyone's going to love you and everything will go perfect, and it's not true. Because when you share the truth of your life that hurts another person like I did with Holly years ago, it'll make you miserable for a while. It can really turn things upside down in your life for a while, and you may lose the respect and have to build trust all over again. But Jesus was right when he said this in John 8, 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I don't think John's talking about when you understand the truth about black holes and geometry, then finally you'll be freed, right? I I think there's a piece of what Paul's or or John's trying to say is, or or Jesus is trying to say is, when you discover and admit the truth about yourself, there's a freedom that comes when you're able to admit and confess that that's not there before that time. Does anybody say amen this morning that's found that to be true in your own life? 
Jesus isn't saying that if we learn the truth about all these other things, we'll be free. He's saying, he's saying look, if you'll admit the truth, it'll set you free. It just may not be easy from day one. And every time I tell my story, I've got to tell you, it gets easier every time I tell it. Because what I'm doing is stepping out of darkness and stepping into the light. And that's hard to discover the first time you do it. But the more you do it, the more you become comfortable with the light. Which leads me to number two. Number two, second takeaway. Confession to another person breaks the power of sin. I've experienced this in my own life. When you are true and honest and you bring things into the light, you are breaking the bonds that Satan has over your life. Because here are the weapons that Satan has. Satan has isolation. Satan has secrecy. Satan has lying. He's the father of those things. And so when we stay in the dark, he has power over us that we can't possibly break on our own. But when you free yourself from those chains, when you share the truth, it'll set you free. And you actually are are finding spiritual breakthroughs. These are spiritual weapons, confession is, when we share that with other people in our lives. So when you confess your sins, in some way you experience spiritual breakthrough. It doesn't mean you'll never struggle again. But the forces of darkness do everything to keep you in hiding. And part of what God is trying to do is not keep us alone, but to bring us into community together. Confession always leads us a step closer to spiritual freedom. There's a great line I learned in Celebrate Recovery that's so helpful. We're only as sick as our secrets. And I would tell you that is so true. As long as you keep secrets, not just between God, but between other people, you're going to have a sickness and a disease that's going to work itself into your life. Those ghosts will continue to haunt you. But secrecy, that power, can be broken when we share for it. And, And here's how it worked for me. I made a habit of telling people my struggle more and more as I began to to, to find healing. In fact, we were to find ourselves around a coffee table later this week, which I hope some of you would call me. I'd love to walk with you through this as if this is something you're struggling with. I'd share with you more of my story than I can share from the stage this morning, but what I find is every time I share this story, there are bonds of Satan that continue to be broken in my life. Because we all want to be known and loved. Not just loved without being known, not just known without being loved. We want to be fully known and fully loved. And that's part of what it means to bring things into light. Number three. Third, we confess our sins. When we confess our sins, people respect us more, not less. And that sounds backwards. And if you have fear about sharing your struggle, it's probably this one that's the main reason for that. And again, I'm not naively saying if you share this, everything's going to be perfect. You'll find judgment in some corners. This morning, there's probably some of you that may think less of me as a result of sharing this. But my guess is, the vast majority of you actually have more respect for me for being courageous enough to say this rather than less respect. And the truth of that is we, we respect people who do hard things, who are open and vulnerable and honest with their lives. We don't want leaders who are perfect. We do this in church world, don't we? We put people on pedestals and we think if they can remain perfect, then I don't have to deal with my junk. But once the preacher comes off the pedestal, what then, right? We don't know what to do with this in a morning like this. But I'm here to tell you, All of us who are leaders in this church, we have to lead out of our brokenness and not out of our strength. We are wounded healers, every single one of us. So if any one of us are putting off this perspective like things are perfect, just ask us how we're doing and we'll open up if you ask that question is my hope. Here's the reality. When we share our successes, we become competitors. But when we share our struggles, we become brothers and sisters. 
I've been in circles before where I feel like I have to show how I improve myself for this and this and this. I've been in preacher circles where this happens, where you show up to a preacher's lunch and you got to talk about how all these great things are going on in your church. And you know what that does? It just creates competition. But when we share our struggles, you know what it does? We become brothers and sisters. We no longer have to put on the front. Now we can be honest about who we are. When I share this story, there are very few times that I don't get a confession in return when I'm sitting across the table from someone. Because all we're waiting on is for someone to drop the game on their side so we can drop the game on ours. And that's what it means to be a church that's about baggage claim is we confess our sins. God's faithful and just to forgive, but there's another step beyond that, and that's sharing with one another. If you say you're fine, you'll probably get a response, I'm fine. But if you share people your struggle, you'll probably hear a struggle in response. Fourth, confession to others leads to a life without fear. And when I hid my sins, I had to spend so much of my energy and time trying to cover up, trying to make sure no one found out. And if you're in that situation, you don't even know how much energy you're expending on covering up what's going on in your life. But when you share what's going on, all of a sudden you have energy you would never imagine to do things that you would have never unlocked otherwise. And here's the great thing about this. We're scared that people are going to find out, right? I mean, that's the fear when you're struggling with something is if someone finds out this might destroy my job, this might destroy my family, this could destroy all of my life. And there's a truth to that. It could do that. But it is far better to out yourself than it is to be outed by someone else. Because all of a sudden when you have the control of that and you share that, all of a sudden there's, a, there's no fear about someone finding out about something because you shared it all. No one has any, You all have all the dirt on me now. I don't have to be fearful that that's going to be dug up. And the fear that kind of just goes away in that moment. Now, it doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean this won't hurt along the way. Holly and I can tell you a story about how that wasn't easy. But ultimately, the only way healing could come to our marriage was if we were honest about what was going on in our marriage. Because here's the lie we're led to believe. Just imagine a couple with me. This couple's been married about a decade or so. And on the surface, everything seems good. The Facebook statuses are all happy. The kids are looking great. Maybe you've seen a few of these in Allen, Texas. But for many, things aren't quite as good as they appear. Maybe there's emotional affairs or bitterness or anger that's rising up. But as long as it's not spoken about, you can just kind of hide all this. And the symptoms kind of emerge, but you can kind of pretend that's about something else. But what you cannot speak will end up finding a way to speak. What you can't speak of will either haunt you or it'll find itself showing up in symptoms that you can't control. So maybe that couple finds that their kids are fighting at school and that's all really a symptom of what's really going on at home. Or maybe it comes out through one person being on the computer or staying a little later at work because it's easier to be there than it is to be present in the marriage. And then the concern is if I bring this to the surface when we've hidden it, we haven't talked about what will emerge and It can go one of two ways. It can destroy things. But it can lead you on a road to healing and being honest about who you are. It can be the most incredible journey if you're willing to go there. The reason we don't bring stuff up is because we think, well, if we bring this stuff up, there's going to be a crisis. But the reality is, there's already a crisis. It's just, is it going to come up on your terms? or Satan's best design terms. Church, I'm not telling you that you need to come up front and confess all your sins to the church. 
I've worked through this a long time before I was ready to share this with you all. But I am here to say that 1 John 1, 9 is true. If you confess your sins to God, he will forgive. And many of you experienced that lightning of the burden last week. And we'd invite you to these tables uh, throughout our series to do that. Confess your sins to God. He forgives the guilt of your sin. If if you want to put on Jesus in baptism, we'd love to have that conversation with you today. Uh, Once for all, that sacrifice cleansing you. But I'm here to tell you that James is telling the truth as well. When you confess your sins one to another, there's a healing that comes through that that cannot happen any other way. Here's how I tried to mask it before. I would, I would tell someone my sin, and then I would say, act like everything was okay after that. You ever done that before where you can confess the first time it's the follow-up that's hard? Because you still want to preserve this image that things are okay? So I would tell this person, I would tell this person, but I never told everyone everything. And walking through the fifth step, I had to do that with someone. I had to come to grips with all the hurts and all the hang-ups and then all the habits that I was using to cope with the hurts that I have. And, and i got to tell you, it was the most transformative moment in my life to be able to sit across face-to-face from someone and, and to say, these are the exact nature of my wrongs. And on the other end of that, to get a hug, and you're loved by God, and you're forgiven. I cannot tell you, if you've never experienced that, the healing that can come in your life. If you'll get to that place, you can do that. Today, my prayer all week has been that ghosts that haunt this place and ghosts that haunt our houses would be done away with forever. And last week we took a step of sharing uh, anonymously, sharing with God and receiving forgiveness. But what I want to encourage you today to do is to imagine what it might look like to begin a process of healing. Begin thinking about who it is in your life that you might be able to share the full truth of everything in your life. Maybe you need to go to Celebrate Recovery and take step-by-step this process. It may be too much to bite off at once, and we encourage you to do that, but maybe this is the day in your marriage that you need to have that hard conversation. Or maybe this is the day uh, in another relationship that you need to be very open. Maybe, maybe it's not your spouse right now. Maybe you need to start with a trusted friend and you need to be able to begin to work through that. But healing will not come to your life until you begin to share this with someone else who's in your life. This is how James says it. it is the truth. My prayer today is that these conversations might begin to happen. I'd be glad to have these conversations with you if you want to do that. Don't come to me after because people will wonder, right? No, you can come after, all right? That's the community we're trying to build. Go back to the back and pray with our prayer partners. Send me an email later this week or give me a call. I'd be glad to, to meet with any one of you. There are people in this church that would do that better than I could in your life. So find that person in your life and do this because we want to be a healed people. Because last week we claimed our baggage and this week we are claiming healing. We're saying to Satan, you don't get to, to, to have say over our lives anymore. It's not just forgiveness we're after, we're after healing. And this is the promise that's offered when we confess our sins to each other. We cannot do this alone, church. We are powerless on our own. But with other brothers and sisters who've been through this, who can share our struggle with us, who can walk alongside us, it's the only way I would have found healing day by day. Let's pray together as we close. God, this morning, I thank you for the attention in this room that's been given. I thank you for uh, knocking out distractions, for keeping us present, God. And I pray that you would begin to unshackle some people who've been in bondage. I pray that we would take that most courageous step of not just sharing these things with you, but beginning to share them with one another. 
And God, I pray that those conversations would go well, that these trusted partners who walk into life would be people of confidentiality, people of healing themselves, people who don't need to work out their stuff, but they would be just in the right place to receive these wounds, this baggage, God, these ghosts. God, I pray for families, that this would begin to be a healthier place as a result of revealing these ghosts. I pray for individuals that would find healing. I pray for cities and nations that we'd be able to confess our baggage, bring it to you, God, and you would heal all of those things. God, I thank you for the healing I've found in my life, and I'm thankful for Celebrate Recovery and what this will do for so many in our church and our community. And I'm thankful for a church that's willing to allow a preacher to step off the pedestal and just be one of us. Pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Be standing now for our benediction.